Medic! All right, so I'm super lucky today. Uh, I have uh, Alex Rohner from Emperor CMS in Yonkers, New York, on the uh, on the Medica podcast. Brand new podcast episode. Back to the interviews. You guys have been do- probably listening to the late calls for a couple weeks now. I told you we'd be back with the uh, the interviews, and here we are. So, Alex, you're on the line. I really appreciate you calling in to be able to sit down with me today to talk about your experiences with Nightwatch Nation and uh, some other stuff, some other paramedic stuff. And uh, we're just going to get right into it. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Sorry it took me so long to get here. Absolutely. The the stars, the planets, the schedules aligned, and here we are, finally. This is the better part of, what, almost three and a half months. So. Yes, I'm, I'm excited, and like I told you, I told you yesterday on the phone, I would have waited another three months because uh, I really, uh, I, I really want to get your story out there, and I, I think it's, uh, I think it's gonna, it's, it's pretty powerful. Powerful is the word I would use to, to describe it. So, since uh, like every other episode, nobody ever gives me their bio ahead of time, so I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to push it on you. Nobody, you know, EMS people never want to talk about themselves, but now's a... Yeah, and I still don't want to talk about myself. <laughs> I know, but I'm going to force you. Um, so, okay. you know, brief intro, you know, tell us about, you know, your career and anything, you know, what have you done anything cool? You know, whatever. whatever have I done whatever anything you, cool? I was on Nightwatch Nation. Don't you watch television? Well, besides that. <laughs> um, have I done anything cool? Uh, well, I came to EMS six years ago, and in the time that I've been here, I've done a lot of cool stuff, and I happen to have kind of cool backgrounds. I have a degree in English where I attempted to teach English. I uh, was a concept developer for another company. I ran a construction company in D.C. that all led me up to today, and there's the bits in between that I guess we'll get to later when we talk about my addiction. Sure. And I, I also uh, understand that you quite possibly uh, maybe won an award, maybe ALS Provider of the Year. That that Are you sure that was me? I'm pretty sure. Yes, that was, that was me. So um, this year, my chief, Michael Blecker, actually nominated me for ALS Provider of the Year in Westchester. And, uh, yeah, it was a really good, great honor. It was great. Um, Empress is grand. Uh, yeah, I I agree. Uh, doing doing research, it looks like you guys do a, a lot of stuff and are involved in a lot of a lot of the community there in Yonkers. Um, so how how did you? I, I this is gonna maybe be a little bit out of you know chronological order, but how did you you know how did you get here? How did you get to EMS? What brought you to EMS? Like you know, everyone sometimes there's two types of people. There's the I saw an accident and I felt helpless and I don't want to feel helpless, so I went to EMT school and then I went to paramedic school and here I am. And then there's the well, I got lost on my way to nursing school or medical school or something else. And you know, I I always joke and say, you know, when you're you know, little kids standing on the corner playing out in their yard when they're little, they see the fire truck go by and go, ooh, shiny diamond plate and <laughs> sirens. I want to do that. I don't think anyone does that with an ambulance. And like no one really said, I, I want to be a paramedic when I grow up. I think it's always been like a fallback career for a lot of us. We just happen to be really good at. Wow. So you you haven't seen any new Empress ambulances because they're shiny. Oh, yeah. And I, I stare at them. When they go by, I go, ooh, I still do that in my age. 
Uh, I don't fit in, I don't think I fit into either one of those categories, to tell you the truth. I was in my early 40s when I discovered EMS. Uh, I, regardless of what my mind, where my mind was, altered or not altered, I was always the person that would stop to help. Somebody tripped and fell over, flat tires, those kind of things. Um, and I definitely didn't get lost going to nursing school. I can't imagine being anything but a paramedic. And I'm not, I'm not busting on nurses, God bless them. But there's something about the elements that I need to be in, the surprise of what's happening and, um, yeah, the constant movement. Uh, let's see. I, once again, everything leads back to my addiction. When I got sober, when I left recovery, uh, the initial part of it, I wanted to give back. And I was already in my 40s. And it's funny you say that because, like, I didn't see cop cars go by and think, ooh, shiny. And I really didn't know about ambulances, ooh, shiny. It was the fire trucks that were always shiny, but that that wasn't it. I was trying to figure out how I could help, and I was too old to be an officer. And someone said to me, have you thought about being an EMT? So I looked it up, and I said, let me give this a go, and I loved it. I came to Empress, and I was an EMT for about three years, two, two three years, and then I went to medic school and became a medic. I remember looking at the medics on the truck thinking, oh, my God, they're so cool. They can do this and they can do that. And look what they did. And how amazing is that? I want to do that. Um, huge respect for them. And so I became a paramedic and all the other stuff just kind of followed. I was promoted to supervisor, lieutenant, two years ago. And uh, then we started the community paramedic division this year. So it's been great. Here. That's fantastic. I mean, you know, maybe it's not the maybe it's not the shiny lights and sirens of the ambulance. Maybe it's just the cool stuff the medics have, the defibrillator and the needles and the meds and the laryngoscopes and the VL and whatever, all that. Maybe that's maybe that's the draw. I guess I think I hear a lot of people say, oh, I I mean, that's what I did. I mean, when I, I was in a lifeguarding class and I watched a video while we were learning CPR and they shocked somebody with an AED and I, I looked at the instructor. I said, I want to do that. She's like, yeah, you're in lifeguarding <laughs> class. You're going to pull the guy out of the pool. I'm like, no, I want to shock him. Where, when, do we, when do we learn that? You know, and, and here we it's are. It's so funny. I, I really I don't remember being enamored with all of those bits and pieces, but I remember that, that the care was more extensive than what I could provide. I mean, listen, BLS is the backbone of this industry, and God bless all the EMTs that schlep and hump and work long hours and don't get enough sleep and everything else. I appreciate all of them. But there was something about the medic being able to pick up the phone and tell the doctor, this is what's going down, and these are the interventions I did, and make that person safe. So, um, and that really, that yeah. really has progressed. When I, when I started as an explorer riding with paramedics, I rem and again, this time before uh, real cell phones, I mean, we had bag phones, but I remember sitting in patients' living rooms, and the medic would do some stuff. And then we'd, they'd say, do you mind if I use your telephone? And they're like, sure. And they would call the ER and be like, hey, here's our, here's our ENCODE. Um, yeah, you could do that on the, you could do that from the ambulance, but we were in a small suburban area. So, you know, our transport times were, you know, less than 10 minutes. So they would call from the patient's house and you know, they, they were, they were high speed at the time. They weren't asking, can I put an IV in? Do you want me to give this drug? They were like, this is what I've done. And you know, as it progressed over the years, you know, now we're calling STEMIs in the field, activating calf teams, activating stroke teams, you know, and they're just like, well, yep. the medic said so, we'll, we'll, we'll save a table for you. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's awesome. it, it really has come a long way. So definitely. So when I, when I started this, this was uh, the project for the podcast was really talking. The first series 
was talking to my prior graduates who spanned between one and six years in the field. And uh, I, I kind of had a list of basic questions for them, some standard questions that talked about school uh, and, and starting out, starting out, especially in that first year, that survival year as a paramedic. So do you have, do you have any like specific memories from paramedic school? And, and I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've referenced it twice. You know, you said you started, you got into this business at a, at a, we'll say an advanced age, a veteran age. <laughs> I'm cracking up advanced age. You were, you were just talking about calling from the telephone inside the house. And I was thinking, God, I hope they didn't have a party line. <laughs> so that right there should reference my age. I, um, yeah, I was 42. I'm now 48 going on 12. Um, yeah. So it was, I went to community college here and, I don't think, I, I mean, my personality is such that if I want to do something, I'm just going to go do it, whatever it takes. So it wasn't really an age thing. What I had to get used to, the thing I had to get used to the most was I remember first coming to Empress and I was on a 24-hour shift and I thought, I'm never going to make this. I'm never going to make it through this shift. But but aside from that, I, I don't think I had um, many, many problems. It, it's hard. Medic school, if I had to do it again, I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I was working full-time, doing rotations, riding on the truck, raising my son, and trying to figure out why exactly I needed to know um, about cells. <laughs> you know, like, you dropped your squamous cell. Pick it up. You know, that's not happening out here. So there was a lot of stuff in school that I didn't quite understand why I was taking it. And with a degree in English, of course, I didn't have those basics but um yeah kick my ass for sure so how about just the makeup of your class like were you were, did you and I'm, again i don't want to put words in your mouth were you ever and it's just because of i've seen it in in my cohorts before uh you know when the economy kind of tanked a, a few years ago as it was on the upswing you know we would have we would have a lot of middle-aged people come through school it's more emt school than paramedic school and they're like, yes. Yeah, whoa, whoa, a, whoa, whoa! Well, this is a third job. You just call me middle age. I, I would never because we're we're both in our. We're bo <laughs> I'm we're coming both, through the phone. Well, we're both in our 40s, mm -hmm. so we're in a protected class. So we're we're good. <laughs> it's friendly fire. Uh, there was another person in class with me who was my age. And, um, and did you guys kind of did, did you guys kind of relate to each other more than the younger people in the class? I mean, I I see that a lot in, in our cohorts. You know, it's just, it's kind of the same thing that happens here because we have 500 employees, and I'm going to say that 70% of them are under the age of 27. You know, you really you feel the difference. You feel the generations, the way people grew up, how people learn, how more sensitive people are. Um, yeah, I seem to always take on the mom role wherever I am, and that happened, of course, in school as well, where we were broken out into classes, and if something went down. I found myself stepping in or stepping up or whatever. Uh, um, you know, some of those co some of those kids. I hate God. Now I sound old. Some of these kids these days, they need that. You know, they need that because they. You know, I I see it. At, and you say about being an English teacher. You know, I, I see it a lot in study habits and uh, you know just ways to cope uh, with just maybe life in general, confrontation, whatever it is. Um, you know, it's just it seems like a different. A different group 
than when I went through. And I mean, I you know, I graduated in 2002 from paramedic school, and those were those were 90s kids. Those were we were all pretty much 90s kids in that class. So, right. I mean, I, I absolutely understand, and I just you know, it's it's a weird dynamic. I think you know, economy's on the upswing now. I, you know, people don't want to do the job. It's led to this nationwide shortage. Um, you know, it's it's just I, I'm dealing with it. It's really hard to. You know, I say about you know, watching the ambulance go down the street and people go, oh, I want to do that job. I mean, it's just to me, it seems there's not a lot of people who want to do this job anymore, which eh, kind of gets you dejected after a while. You're like, man, don't people care about, you know, helping the community, helping their neighbor, helping helping in general. So I'm trying to, you know, the last couple of months I've really been as a as a program director in a paramedic school trying to figure out, you know, and I, it sounds weird because I don't ever I've never wanted to become this person. Uh, how do I market EMS? How do I how do I sell EMS? Like it, I don't remember it having to be sold to me. It was like one five second clip of a guy being shocked with an AED, and I was like hooked. Let's do that. So uh, I think that, and I'm not a big media person, but I think A and E has helped. We keep getting these classes of EMTs. You know, there's a national shortage on EMTs, and when I walk in to introduce myself, they all go Night Watch Nation, and I'm wondering if there isn't you know, a certain allure that we've promoted through the show. Um, I, I think a couple things about this. One is, like you said before, people don't know what they want to do, and they're at an age where they, they want to get into something, they think they want to help people, but until they get in the field, they really don't realize how much of a toll it can take on you. I mean, I see kids all the time on their first cardiac arrest, and I have to say to myself, don't be hard, don't yell, don't, you know, stay focused, because this poor kid never thought that this was going to happen, that in real life, he was going to be touching someone who's in taking their last breaths, you know, so we have that going on. And the other thing I see is people who are in search of something larger than being a paramedic, took this as a step, and they don't work with their gut. Like we have some paramedics here that are amazing, they just feel it as soon as they get to the scene, they feel what's happening. They sense the patient. They have empathy and are able to do their best work knowing that the patient's outcome has something to do with the interaction. So not everybody has that, and I don't think everybody understands that they need that. Like To be in healthcare, you, you need to have that. We're, we need to be a little softer than we are, you know? Right, and, so. you know, for years I don't – it's only, you know, really recently I mean, you, you don't find – emotional intelligence in the national standard curriculum and then it's a curriculum you know that that's you have to add that in um you know the right. the critical incident stress debriefing type stuff and self-care and resiliency that's honestly it's non-existent uh it's you know two and a half pages in any paramedic textbook you look at in the last five to ten years uh and, you know and we're right. at we're having to add it in and you know build that curriculum because we're seeing it and I, you know, I, I was very blind to it for a number of years uh, because that's mm -hmm. just not me. That wasn't me. I wasn't taught that way. I was taught like, Hey, this is your job. If it's a job, go do the job, take care of people, do the best you can with the time you're with them. And you know, right. it's on to the next one, which, you know, again, this, the, the second part of why I started Medic Up podcast was this was a very therapeutic thing for me. It's very cathartic. Um, this is this is my right. cheap therapy where I get to talk to people around the country and, you know, they have, you know, we have a lot of similar experiences. And I think that right. is what the kids coming up and the people who've been out there for a while and those, you know, those toasty, salty EMS veterans and fire veterans and PD veterans need to hear uh, to say, hey, you know, I 
I've been thinking this too the last couple of years. So, you know, you, you kind of, you segued right into it pretty well with the, uh, you know, I think Nightwatch is kind of helping. I mean, you know, back in the seventies, it's what emergency did. That's how we got our paramedics. It's television. That's the, that's the marketing tool. Um, so what do you, um, when the you clinical when, director here has actually approved me to do compassion training. Cool. Yeah. So compassion training isn't just like, my mantra is perception is reality. And I have to say these kids, yeah, you think that call is bullshit. However, that's their tragedy at the moment, you know? And um, in addition to just being more compassionate of other people's stuff, I want them to be able to read the room because I think we also make the mistake of not realizing that a patient's family can make you or break you on that call. So, um, you know, I try to get people to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. I'm like, you got a call for the guy with the stub toe. You say, this is fucking ridiculous. I can't believe I'm going to this call. And you get there and you have no idea that as a child, somebody was bashing his toe with a hammer every time he said the wrong thing. So, you know, I mean, I know that's an exaggeration, but that's kind of how I want my people to think is don't judge somebody else's nightmare. You just don't know. And, um, you know, that what I just said really segues into my heart program, our our inability to understand that the addict out here is going through a trauma or a hell that we know nothing about, you know, um, and that's really another reason why I got into EMS. It's fantastic. I'm we're gonna I'm gonna circle back and talk about the heart program, but um, like I said, you you segued into it about Nightwatch, Nightwatch Nation, uh, about maybe helping with the shortage. So what do you, tell me about some? Just tell me about your experience with the show. Like how did how did you get how did you how did you get picked or did you just volunteer? And uh, you know, just kind of take us through. So um, yeah, first Yonkers was chosen with the the three other cities. And there was an audition, and I thought to myself, self, this would be a great platform for my heart program, for trying to get the message out about being an addict in EMS, because it's something that that we don't talk about enough, because it's you, you get judged. And um, I also wanted to be able to speak to whatever I could to help the population out there, um, so I went in, and there was a lovely woman. I believe her name was Robin. And she asked me a bunch of questions, and I think I got all teary. And she told me, I'm like an onion. They're going to peel away the layers, and America's going to love you. And I didn't believe her. And then later they called and said, we want you. And I thought, oh, boy, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> so the experience was incredible. Everyone they chose for our team was really cool. My partner, Jamal, is Poetry on Sticks. He he is really that guy. He, that's not made up. That's not scripted. That's not an act. He is the real deal. He is just amazing. Um, and the crew that was with us, the producer and the camera guys and the light guys and the sound guys and the guys in the background and everybody on the crew was also incredible. A lot of great energy. And not only did they understand what the show was looking for, but they understood that, you know, this is an additional shift that's happening late at night and we're tired and hungry and overworked. And they were, they were great with us. They were frigging phenomenal. So um, that part was cool. It was a little hard for me to 
realize that I'm being, there's a camera in my face all the time because I'm going to do me. I'm going to do my job. And, um, you know, I turn around to grab something and there's a big camera in my face. I just, you know, my, my constant impulse was to go get that fucking thing out of here. But, I, but I didn't. And, um, yeah, it was a great experience. The two things that came out of the show for me specifically, one was the realization that people in EMS need to support other people in EMS. And if they have something to say about the care or treatment that they see on TV, they should feel free to contact the person directly instead of um, perhaps calling other people who call other people who call other people. No, you just go um, to the inter- got- you just go to the internet. You can go to the internet <laughs> and, and yeah, post your um, post your feelings, which you know, not productive. Yeah, we we've covered all that ad nauseum, which. You know, and again, it's it's EMS people. We just realize that you know my protocols are different. You know, we're we're a service where I work part time. Our local service, we 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 were one of the first people, one of the first services to give antibiotics pre hospital, and that was super positive. Oh, cool. It's super positive, and we would get phone calls from around the world uh, asking about our sepsis protocols and our antibiotics. And for everyone that we would get a call, we would hear um, just kind of maybe some backlash, like, oh, what are you doing? You're not really helping. All you're doing is driving the cost. It, it would just be stuff after stuff. And, it, again, not well, productive. Yeah, it's like if, bring, I'm sorry. People bring problems, not solutions, you know. Um, I, was, I was disheartened by that. And um, I think the what people needed to know was, you and I didn't understand why people in EMS didn't realize that. Do you really think the entire call from dispatch to a hospital was five minutes? Did you not perhaps think there was something behind the scenes that uh, I don't know? You don't know? No, but that's kind of so, that's a leftover from TV sitcoms. Every problem is solved in thirty minutes, and you know you are getting uh, the meat and potatoes of the, the the dramatization. You know that's what that's what people are used to. That's if you you know you're you're watching primetime television and it, and then people go well that's not how i do it or that's not what i would have done and it's like well and that's all cool because that was you know the first episode and then when episode four rolled around and i got real with tv all that stuff kind of went away uh, for some reason anybody who wanted to come at me suddenly realized maybe i shouldn't go at her well, you were cool. you were like you were some type. You all of a sudden became, and that was the. It wasn't a turning point for me, but and I'll I'll get to that in in just a second. But I mean, it was very. I I knew from episode one. I knew the I knew the type of person. I knew the type of provider you were. But I I've been around the block, so maybe I'm a little different. And like I said, you know, I'm overly critical of a lot of things because I teach and. It's more, it was more funny to me to have my students come in and go, did you see this? And I was like, yeah, let's watch it and let's talk about it because there's actually way more to learn from it than what you think. Um, you know, there's there's definitely positivity there that you should be – this is what I want you to look at. This is what you saw, but this is what I want you to look at and I want you to recognize. And then when they were done, that's, they were like, wow, cool. there's there's a lot – you know, there is a lot more that goes into it. And like I said, you know, I had a lieutenant who was on the on the show Paramedics in the in the late 90s and – he used to tell me, he's like, man, it's highly edited. You know, they got to fit it in in a period of time. He goes, they were with us for two months. He goes, and what you're seeing is what you're seeing. He goes, 
can't change it. He goes, you know, I hope it was more positive than negative. He goes, I've heard this. He, he heard the same stuff you guys heard. And, and I hate it that that's, you know, almost a decade between the shows, uh, even more. And, and, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. And like you said, we should be supporting each other and picking out the good and going, man, you know, I would rather, I would rather hear someone say, Hey, I saw this on the show and I went to my medical director and now we do that because I was able to, I saw something that I thought, Hey, this might be beneficial where we work and we live and we serve. And the medical director was on board. I showed him a clip from the show. Everyone got in touch. I talked to this medical director, your people talked to my people and, and now we're doing a better job where, you know, because of the show. I would rather hear that than the, than the, I didn't see your bag. I would rather hear that too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's, and and Um, and, it's it's a, it's a reality show. It's not a, it's not a work group, you know, but I mean, that's what I would, I would, I would rather hear more about that than the, well, I saw this guy not bag the guy come. Yeah. Because they had that. That's on the editing room floor. It's no big deal. I'm pretty sure they bagged that guy and look, the outcome was great. Right. Um, I, I, I'm an ultra positive person and I always try to find the, the brightness, the bright side of things. This had my me scratching my head, but the amount of support I had from people who know me, from you know, the EMTs all the way to our medical director, everyone knows what kind of provider I am and they knew that I would I have no malice and would never cause harm. And um, they, they understood what happened behind the scenes that allowed me to act in whatever fashion I did. So um, and everyone here at Empress, everyone was was very supportive. That's awesome. That's good. Um, and that's how it should be. Absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, just just in general, it, we need to build each other up instead of tearing each other down. And that that was a good example to me that I like to pass along to others. Just we're, we're better as a team than we are, you know, picking each other apart. So um, yeah, the the flip side was I had an amazing outpouring. On all social media, the emails, I fan mail, <laughs> um, yeah, stalkers, thirteen-year-old stalkers that wanted my autograph, um, yeah, um, people who have family with addictions or were struggling themselves or had are also in recovery, just telling me that me being vulnerable in front of however many millions of people have helped them. I have women my age who have said, I'm going to go to EMT school. People told me I was too old, but I'm going to do it. And yeah, rah, rah, rah. I just read, I read that. I read that on Instagram post this morning and I was like, super cool. That's, you know, one more, put them, put them in class. Yep. Well, absolutely. Let's, so let's fast forward to episode four of the sober truth. Um, So I, I, I was watching it and I think I had missed, I had missed that week when it aired on Thursday night. I think I was watching it on a Saturday night. Um, and oddly enough, I was watching it. My, my kids love this stuff and it's, it makes me a bad parent. They're like 11 and eight. So, um, but my 11 year old, wants to, an old parent. well, a little bit, <laughs> my, my 11 year old wants to, wants to be a canine cop. So she loves the live PD stuff. And I was like, you oh, shouldn't, cool, you, cool. I was like, yeah, you shouldn't watch that. But I'm like, man, I was watching cops when I was 10. I get it. All right, fine. You can watch it. So I'm watching it. I'm I'm sitting in bed, I'm watching it, and I, I'm kind of goofing off on my phone a little bit, and I gets to the end of that episode, and uh, it was it was you and Jamal sitting on the back of the truck talking, and, he, and you know, he says, what are we going to do about this city? And you're like, I don't know. And you guys are talking about the, the heroin overdose you guys just treated, and uh, 
he, you know, he's he was going on. I wish I had the clip for it. But, uh, you know, he's going on. He's like, you know, you're one of the medics on the front lines of the opioid epidemic. You know, you're a pretty strong person because, you know, you, you, you know, you've told your story and you started going into it and I missed it and I had to rewind it. And, and I was like, I, like, I, like an idiot. I'm looking at my eight year old. I was like, did she just say she had an addiction problem, but she's a medic? And I watched it and I watched it. And I watched what you said. And like the best I couldn't even like muster a word like i'm very rarely a speechless person speechless was the word i would use and i just remember going hmm and my my eight-year-old was like what are you okay i was like no it's just what she said and what they're talking about so i mean that was like a it's like a two minute and 30 second like exchange and i was like uh I need to call her before she's famous. I need to talk to her before she's famous. <laughs> we need, we need to, I need to, I need her to tell this story. I need to, I need to record this. Um, because there would be a time when, if I would have known that, if you were in my paramedic school, I probably would have been like, I don't think this is a job for you. You know, most likely to divert medications because, you know, eh, that's, yeah. that's not the people who get into healthcare for the right reasons. But I couldn't deny yeah. the last, you know, two episodes how I watched your work. So again, I don't, I don't like to admit being wrong, but I will. But uh, yeah, do you remember? You re obviously, I mean, you've got enough, enough from the kind of uh, not fallout, but you know, reaction from that. You you obviously remember that, uh, and that was why that's what really led me to track you down. Uh, and it took a it took some it took some odd places to find an email address or some way to get in touch with you. And uh, I was super super stoked when you when you texted me back. Um, and uh, and here we are. So really, that's wow. that's why I wanted you. That's why I wanted you on here. I want to hear the other stuff, but I want other people to hear. And again, even finding out it was before paramedic school like it wasn't i'm a provider struggling with addiction and i beat it it was this is the result of recovering from addiction and wanting to give back yes. so yes absolutely i know you said open um, book my, but um if yeah, you want if you uh, yeah if my, you want to go into it kind of what started you down the road to it and how what was the what was rock bottom and what got you out of it and what got you into medic school wow 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 um First of all, I want to just say that there was someone in particular out there that felt the exact same way as what you described prior to you figuring it out. And um, this gentleman went on social media and said something to the effect of, I can't believe she's a supervisor carrying around drugs. Um, I can't believe this company, shame on this company for um, making her a supervisor and, you know, addicts fail and they they relapse and 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 he was met with such opposition, this guy. Like, kudos to him for saying what he needed to say if he felt better. And my initial response to him was, maybe he needs some help. Maybe I'll track him down and see if I can help him. But um, people that I don't even know said to this guy, you don't know her. And as much as heroin and pills and every other drug out there doesn't have any prejudice, it's really up to the person individually to figure out how they're going to battle it how they're going to fight it, and and if their will to live is stronger than their will to be high. Um, I 
was a child from a very mixed up family and a crazy past. And I think I started doing drugs maybe in my early teens. And one thing, you know, gateway drug for me, I believe, was PCP. (laughs) Kind of strange. Um, I lived in a family where if you had a headache, you got a Darvocet, which they don't even make anymore. And I also have the gene in my family. So alcohol, drugs, addiction um, in all forms, whatever, gambling, whatever it is. Um, And although I was a productive human for most of my life with degrees and running large companies, I always succumbed to dealing with my emotional and behavioral issues by medicating. So um, I'm not going to go into all the trauma that I had as a child or in my teens. I just kind of want to fast forward to towards the end. Um, and, I, and I think this needs to be said because there's, there's awareness now much more so than ever before. And I know the big farm companies have been paying out, but pills, pills, narcotics, Benzos, all of those pills are just as bad as sticking a needle in your arm. It's just as bad as getting heroin on a corner. Um, the the it's a slippery slope. You know, the doctor gives you thirty because you got your tooth pulled. The next thing you know, you're online trying to get something shipped in from Canada, and you're stealing people's medication out of the the medication cabinets, and you're going to parties just so you can do that. You know, like it's it just rolls downhill and you start popping pills because it's not a spectacle. You don't need to shoot up, smoke it, snort it, you know, make a big production. You just pop them in your mouth, have a martini and go on your merry way. And that is how I slid down that slope. And, you know, when you can't get those pills and you start to go into withdrawal, which is just as painful as coming off a of heroin, um, you, you go for whatever else is out there. So I, lived in New York City, and I did a lot of drugs, and I was an artist on the circuit, um, the raw circuit down there, and that happened for many years until one day I got so terrified. Like, my rock bottom wasn't about one specific thing. It was about everything. It was about my family not talking to me, my son looking at me like, you're a loser, you know, not having any drive, any will, not feeling well, just the whole nine yards, and I just wanted to run away, but there was nowhere to run to. And someone in my life said, get your ass to a meeting. And I went. I went to an NA meeting. And um, I relapsed within the first 90 days and got back up, started all over again. And I, in the last, let me see, I'll tell you in a minute what exact, what the exact time frame is because I have a little thing on my, on my, yeah. In the last 2,342 days, six years, four months, four weeks, four hours, and 52 minutes, uh, I've done a lot of work, a lot of work. And I have goals, and I have um, a safety net. Everybody knows I'm an addict. Do not hide it. It's It's a big thing to go to meetings and tell someone you're going to uh, lunch with your friends because you're embarrassed. We shouldn't live in in a world that we're embarrassed that we medicated to deal with our problems to deal with things that hurt us. We should be able to be out. And because everybody knows I don't drink and I don't do drugs, if I go to a party at a bar, six people will buy me a club soda. I'm very effervescent. I'm just full of bubbles. 
um, and my son. Like, everyone needs that one reason to live. And the look on his face when he looks at me, when he smiles, when I got an award, when whatever it is, keeps me sober, keeps me on the straight and narrow. Absolutely. So um, when I recovered, I thought, I'm going to help whatever way I can. And hopefully I'm going to continue to add pieces to myself that translate into pieces that can help others. And that's why I'm working on this heart program, which is the heroin task force here in Yonkers. Whew. Um, I appreciate your openness uh, and your candidness and I'm sure other people do. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it is a testament to your strength. So, I mean, uh, me, I have, you know, I, I had like a ton of questions but you know, I'm not. Go gonna, ahead. Well, I know. I'm just. I just couldn't. You know, it's hard to put them all into into context. So I mean, you made it. You made it. I mean, you're still making it. You're still working. You're still. You know. Yes. You know. You know. Like everyone's always probably said, this is something you'll you'll work on for the rest of your life, right? Absolutely. Moving forward. Absolutely. So when you say you know you want to get back, you want to help. Does that? Do you think it put? And especially telling your story to your coworkers and anybody else. Do you, does it put, I would think, cause I, I can't fathom this. I, I can't even imagine this. Um, does it put, I would think it puts like an immense pressure on you, um, to kind of keep moving forward with it or to say, oh, you know, I've, I've maybe instead, I mean, it sounds like everyone is super supportive. Maybe if they weren't having to, find, you know, oh, I don't, I can't, I can't be in this area anymore. I have to go work somewhere else where you wouldn't want to. I mean, to me, it seems, do you, I mean, simple. Do you agree, disagree? Does it put a lot of pressure on you or not? So a couple things. One is if I'm with somebody who I haven't been out on the street with before and they're treating a patient and I hear them say, which I've heard many times, he's just a fucking junkie. They've, no, one's, no one here has ever seen me like that. Therefore, it's pretty much inconceivable to them that I would be that person. And I'm more than happy to tell them later, this is why perhaps your terminology is not accurate and you need to be more compassionate. That doesn't mean they're not compassionate. It just means that we don't know. We, you know, and this is media as well. We portray people out here on the streets as bad, 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 doing drugs, you know, because they want to as a drain on society. But there's something bigger than that. And um, it is a process that I have to work on every day. It does not drain me. I, I'm actually, when I can look at an overdose and say, I've been where you are, I get it it actually gives me kind of like a residual energy. It's, it's interesting. Oh, I think, um, and I could, I, I, I could easily pick that out in that patient you guys took care of before that, that interaction in the back of the ambulance. Um, the, the way the, it was kind of the way you talked to him, uh, what you were doing, like, it was just, it, honestly, it was a very simple thing when you wiped his nose. I was like, got it. I understand where you're going with this. Um, and it was very, so, um, it was, it was very, uh, very palpable, I guess would be the word. Uh-huh. So the part that we did, you guys didn't get to see was when we got him to the hospital and we got him into the room, I advocated for him at the hospital. Um, I gave him a heart card that has phone numbers on it where he can get some help if he didn't already have it. He had said that he goes to meetings sometimes and he's taking the Vivitrol, 
um, shot, but he said, thank you. <laughs> so, um, you know, part of burnout, I think, comes when we go into a world or go into a job or career and we say we want to change the world. I believe in a pay it forward kind of mentality, and that is if my message out there helps one person, just one, then I've accomplished it. And I can continue to be a, a drug survivor. That's what my guy calls me. You're not a drug addict, you're a drug survivor, and I hope to remain that way. I have a strong suspicion you will. I have a strong suspicion you will. So do you, do you think that your ex experience with addiction and recovery, do you think that that puts you in a better position to help others or, you know, advocate for others? I mean, obviously with the, you know, designing that heart program, you know, simple answer, yes, but I want to hear it from you. I think it gives me more of an understanding of firsthand knowledge. Um, like I said, every addict is, is different. Um, I don't have the training to help with the psychological stuff, but I do think that I am empathetic to the to the situation. Um, I went to a couple meetings this year to check myself because I didn't want to get lost in I'm so busy send, sending this message out that I don't know how I'm being received by people that actually understand the message. So it's one thing for me to say a whole bunch of N.A. quotes, you know, people, places, and things, and have someone who's never been involved in this arena um, say, that's so great, I get it, what you're doing is phenomenal, but you're not an addict. So, you know, you think it's admirable, but am I speaking the right language? And I went to some meetings, and I asked some questions, and I spoke to some people, and found that my message is received pretty well across the board, and therefore I will continue to, to, you know, I will continue to try to help however I can, and I will adjust accordingly. I don't ever want to be to a place where I think I'm knowledgeable on this subject so much so that I don't need to examine myself continuously. So, um, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, I I think I got it, but I'm not sure, so I'll keep going. You know, I think it's great that you have that type of introspection, and you're not you're not afraid to have that hard conversation with yourself, or you know have those or have to have yourself tell yourself those hard answers. So I mean, that's that's awesome. Um, I, again, I'm super proud of you for just being willing to tell the story, be as open as you are, as candid as you are. Uh, it's it really again speechless. It's hard for me to put into words. So the the best I'm gonna say, the best I can muster, really is thank you. Uh, and I'm sure other people yeah. are are thinking that too. Um, I I hope so. I hope it helps. Really, it's a start. That's um, you know, it's a start, right? If I could just plug my heart thing real quick. That's exactly where <laughs> I was headed. I want to I want to hear about the heart program because I saw I we talked about it yesterday uh and I didn't I didn't quite I, I didn't want to ask any more about it and I was cruising through uh I think Instagram and I there was a picture of you standing in front of the ambulance with the card and I couldn't really zoom yeah. in to see what it stood for so tell me about it and tell me what uh where it's what it's doing where it's heading and everything. So it's in it's in its complete infancy. It was uh, created by the mayor of Yonkers and the commissioner. And it was um, out there 
but it wasn't being used to its fullest potential. They had a team of officers who would go to the homes post um, overdose and offer these cards and the information on them to try and give them some help and some hope. The card basically is, do I have one around here? Look, I'm looking around the office for it. It basically has numbers on it where you can call to get help. It's got a hotline. It's got the number of rehab, but it's, it's not current and it needs to be bigger than it is. So um, we have met with Deputy Chief of Yonkers and we have assembled a, a round table of people from all different walks that can contribute to the cause, whether it's behavioral health, Office of the Aging, because as you know, drugs don't care how old you are, um, police department, the fire department, and we have a strong um, representative here at Empress, including the owner. So what we're trying to do right now is figure out a program that mirrors some of the other programs that are going on out there. The one in PA, I believe, is called POST. Um, we have identified, as many have, that if you take someone and they've overdosed and you give them help and then you plop them back out where you pick them up, how does that change? They don't really have tools. So not only do we need to be preventative in our in our measures, you know, speaking to the kids and speaking to the families of addicts and trying to help that way, but we also need to somehow help the addict that's coming out of rehab that has made the commitment to try and change and really help them change. So what does that look like? Um, yeah, it's in its infancy. I speak to it because I want it out there. I want people to know that it's you know, the Heroin Enforcement Action Response Task Force, and that it's strongly supported by the entire city. And um, we're going to see what we can do moving forward. What so, do, yeah. it's, an, it's an acronym. What does, what does HEART stand for? It's the Heroin Enforcement Action Response Team. Oh, and you just said that. Yeah. And I didn't pick up on it as usual. Right. That's okay. <laughs> Got it. That's all right. You know, they, they, we all try to make them sound really cute. There's the HOPE program and the, the POST program and you know, um, we, we get lost in the words. I, I like that it's it's heart because I hope that's what everyone on the team pours into it and we try to make a change. Um, yeah, the Narcan usage is ridiculous. Do you, you, do you guys, uh, do your officers, your police officers do the Narcan program, the like intranasal, intra, or the auto injector they, stuff? They, yeah, they actually do. Um, the the uh, ESU team here in Yonkers. I think all the police officers have it. I only see the emergency services crew actually push the Narcan. And I just recently saw a firefighter do it. And I was, I was like, whoa, check that out. I uh, didn't even realize that they were trained up. So cool. Well, I think um, very in, cool. In fact, I think we actually, I can't remember. Yeah. I think we, you guys were, your state was one of the first to do the firefighter administered or EMT administered epinephrine, the injection. Uh, the check and inject yeah, program, I think it was. Yeah. Inject, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of oranges that you shouldn't eat. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were actually lucky enough down here to get permission to use a lot of the uh, the the brochure for that when we started ours here in in South Carolina. Um, so yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, so what's uh, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, so you know what's uh what's next for paramedic Alex Rohner? Okay. What? What's next? What's next? Um, Christmas with my son. 
That's what's next. I'm trying to be present. That's a very important part of being in recovery is being present and um, appreciating what you survived and not looking at tomorrow because that'll make you crazy. So what's next is to get off the phone with you and go see some patients. Oh, you got your CP stuff going on today? Yes, I have my community paramedicine program. You know, I wear many hats here, which if you've seen my hair, you must shake your head. Um, Yeah, so community paramedicine, heart. um, We're working with the Code Green team, hopefully on some other stuff. Safe Haven, community outreach. What else do I do around here? I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, oh yeah, I'm a supervisor. Run the occasional call. Oh, and call, I'm a paramedic. Right, run the occasional medic call, right? Yeah, I'm a paramedic, all-around nice person. So um, right now I have definitely my plate is full, and I'm in a good place. And Empress is grand to support me through all these things. Yeah, I'm full. Good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. All right, and now you yeah. can check uh, low listener mediocre podcast uh guest off of your off your list you're not mediocre the podcast is so the the podcast is not mediocre <laughs> the fact that you sought, sought me out to put this lovely voice of mine on the air again is is incredible and um you know where you come from and what you're trying to do with this i think is is amazing and i listen to Lacey's podcast and let me shout out at her she's amazing she is she absolutely <laughs> is yeah I want to be like her when I grow up, except not blonde. You know, I think me too. And not short. I was was like super jealous listening to her tell me all her accomplishments in like three years. I was like, well. Yeah, absolutely. You're 25. I'm not there yet. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, she's something else. She's got to stop saying y'all though. Y'all. I can't. She knows it's it's yous. So so I do both because I'm from (laughs) Philadelphia. Oh, that's right. You got that Philly thing. Yeah, I'm married, but I'm married to the most southern southern belle in the world so uh she you know, she's a peach she is and, <laughs> and that is her the the word y'all is the word the for her so oh, good funny. stuff well listen i appreciate you coming on i appreciate you wasting some time with me and uh you know there, i think there's more to talk about and uh you know when schedules and stars and planets align again we'll we'll do it again and uh yeah i'm gonna Love be I, I i'll probably text or call you soon i want to talk more about the heart program but maybe the southern annex of it yeah that would be great anything i can get anything i can give awesome chris it's been wonderful thank you so much no thank you pleasure is absolutely all mine